Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 355, and I had a conversation with Andrew Daniel. Andrew's a number one international best-selling and award-winning author of the book Awaken in Your True Self, a definitive guide exploring shadow work, embodiment, narcissism, victimhood, spirituality, and more. He's the founder of Center for Sinosomatic Development, and he's an advisor for the Alan Watts Organization. We had such an interesting conversation uh, about his work and what inspired him to move through his own shadow stories. I really enjoyed this one, and I think y'all will too. Okay, check out heyhumanpodcast.com for links, Hey Human merch, and to learn more about my guests and the show, check out susanruth.com to learn more about me and my other artistic endeavors. Please follow Susan the Ruthism and Hey Human Podcast on social media. Find my albums on Apple Music or wherever you get your music. My most recent record, All I Ever Wanted Was Everything. How to Say Goodbye is one of my favorite records I ever made. Check that one out. Also, check out my relationships and sex show, Are We There Yet?, with sexologist and healthcare practitioner Mara Edelman. It's on YouTube, and you can find it under Are We There Yet? podcast show. Rate, review, and subscribe to Hey Human Podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It's super helpful. I really appreciate it. Take a couple minutes. Give me that good star rating. Say a few words about why you like the show. Uh, Hey Human is an ad-free show, and uh, I want to keep it that way. Your donations are always welcome. You can find a contribute button on heyhumanpodcast.com. I'm looking into Patreon right now. I'm not really sure what I've got to offer that would make Patreon exciting for you, but if you have any suggestions, uh, email me, susan at heyhumanpodcast.com. What kind of extra content would you like to see or hear? (laughs) All right. Thank you for listening. Be well, be kind, stay healthy. I need to take that advice myself and uh, be love. All right. Here we go. Andrew Daniel, welcome to Hey Human. Hi, Susan. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) I'm well. How are you? Good. And you're hailing from Nashville. Yes, ma'am. Nashville, Tennessee. My home away from home. Away from my other home. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, how long have you been in Nashville? Two years. Oh, you're a newbie. Yeah, I am. Where'd you come from? Well, I was born in Bakersfield, California. I grew up in uh, upstate New York, outside of Buffalo. And then I also lived down in Orange County in LA. Uh, I was living in Europe um, for about a year, in London and, and Italy during the pandemic. Um, and so I just moved here about two years ago. You went from Bakersfield, California to Buffalo, New York. Talk about hot and cold extremes. Yeah, I was five years old. I didn't really have much of a choice. Sure. <laughs> Is your family a close family growing up? I have uh, a s- separate father, um, my biological father versus my stepfather. So I'm about 12 and 15 years apart from my younger siblings. Oh, wow. So I didn't grow up with them, but are you close now? Um ish um there's a there's a pretty big generation gap um you know we're we're not apart but you know they're they're just graduating school and getting on with their life you know they're in their early 20s just 
start, and so they got a, a whole life. They don't necessarily want to talk to some old, old man like me every day. Well, uh, sometimes, it, you know, the siblings look to the older siblings for advice or <laughs> what not to do if they've screwed up their lives. Yeah. Somebody, <laughs> yeah. So it's it's nice. Yeah, we, you know, there's there's no problems anywhere, but we've been a very independent family. Everybody's kind of been doing their own thing, and it's good. Did the moving around a lot as a child facilitate you being more extroverted or more introverted? Well, I think the thing that probably had the biggest effect was being uh, bullied as a little kid, um, and that made me more introverted. Um, and I got, you know, I was read a lot of books. I got into computers and video games and all of this stuff. So I, I love people and I still do. Um, I guess I'm a bit more ambiverted. There's times where social interactions really, uh, recharge me. And there's other times where it's like, get me out of here. I I just want to be by myself. (laughs) Yeah, I get that. Absolutely. How how are you liking Nashville? Are you enjoying it there? Yeah. Uh, what's it's really interesting that uh, the pla- a place like this I've found in modern years has aligned with my values uh, a lot more than I expected it to. So, which value? Uh, f- freedom, medical freedom. Um, you know that kind of thing. What do you mean by medical freedom? Uh, the, the, um, unspeakable disease from an unspeakable place that just shut down the world. Um, Oh, you're specifically meaning the freedom from having to get it vaccinated. Yeah. And just the, the whole kind of tyranny of what has been happening. Well, okay, so you bring up, this is an excellent time for me to ask somebody who believes that the government shouldn't tell us what to do with our bodies. Where do you fall on the pro-choice, pro-life debate? Uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) um, It's, I I don't get pregnant. It's not something that I've really made stands for or against. Um, You're a guy who can get people pregnant. Yeah, yeah, I certainly... You know, I I think that's that's a whole can of worms. Um, I it's one of those balances of uh, uh, right versus right, and so there's some things in life that tend to be the things that we find most political that you can look at both sides and say, you know what, that's a valid point. Um, and so I don't have an answer. I think there's there's times where there's um, a lot of good points and reasons for one and a lot of good points and reasons for the other. Did you feel that about vaccines too? Well, yeah, I think if people want to do it, they should have the right to do it. And uh, if they don't, then they don't. Yeah. That's body autonomy. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I was trying to get at to see if I always find what's interesting about that debate Um, And I mean, there's no right or wrong answer. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. I'm just always curious uh, because it seems to me that a lot of people that fall on the, the side of body autonomy, no vaccines fall on the side of pro-life and you shouldn't be able to have an abortion. So there seems to be a great hypocrisy there. So I'm just curious. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I think 
there there might not be there there may be now this isn't my opinion this is just from my background as studying people and working with clients and um what i think happens is not necessarily hypocrisy but looking at it from the a different value level right so somebody may value freedom and that freedom for no vaccine or for the freedom for pro-choice but if the person's coming in from evaluating um health and life and this uh, the sacredness of life they may find those values uh in in the, the flip side of that so i think it's really a lot of people don't realize don't think about that they they just go on the surface le level uh what you see on top is it a yes or no black and white thing and right. if you really start looking at it we have different values and so there are things that could be contradictory and we have different values well when i'm working with clients or myself what i see is that that happens inside of people they're like wait a minute I agree with this, but I also agree with this, but those are supposed to be opposing things. And there's this huge conflict in themselves. And then we see that getting projected out into the world. And so we see in our society, all of these conflicts um, that I, I find stem from the individual into the, the greater consciousness. It is an interesting point. I, I, I personally, for me, I have a lot of shades of gray walking through this world. Um, and believe that people have the right to do with themselves as they see fit. I'm always curious, though, when when I run across people that are saying, you know, I want to be able to do what's best for me, and also I want to dictate what I think is best for you. It's such a conundrum to yeah. me. Yeah. 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 It's um, and then there's the line. So I. I'm not a fan of legislating a shift in values. So I, based on my work in my life, I'm a 100% proponent of personal responsibility. And so when we take, you know, full responsibility of our life and our actions, uh, things tend to work better for everybody. When you start trying to control other people or dictate how they should feel, think, believe through legislation, through a gun, because that's really what it is, you know, th through a gun, um, then you get into some hairy situations. And then you say, well, there sh probably should be things that are um, legislated with guns, you know, such as, you know, not killing people. And, you know, so, so this, this, ironically, yeah, right. exactly. So it's, you know, it's a big thing. I'm not smart enough to have all of the answers to that. My expertise comes in when I work with individual people in helping them have a more, uh, you know, a better life. Uh, and so when they're more honest and integrity and congruent and not being a victim, not being narcissistic, not being trapped in fear and control, they tend to make better choices for themselves and for other people. Tell me what you are, what is your title? Like, what is your thing that you do in this world? Well, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, so I've had a few, I've been an entrepreneur. I've had a software company. I still am an entrepreneur. Uh, so I had a software company when I was, I started when I was 18. Um, now I suppose my title would be author. So I, I mean, you could add some 
fanciness to that. You could add some best-selling and award-winning things to that, but really just a writer and an author. And uh, I also would say something like healer, facilitator, um, advisor, you know, something like that where I facilitate healing and transformation in other people. So a teaching writing component and also a teaching clinical uh, actually working with people component. You said that you were bullied as a child. What do you think it was about you that allowed you to grow up? And instead of being a narcissist, assuming you're not one. I was. Uh, <laughs> oh, you were a narcissist. Yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't, I don't like the, the, the clinical kind of definitions as you uh, saw in my book, my idea of narcissism is very different. So I was certainly doing a lot of narcissistic things. I, out of, uh, I, I, just to explain to the people listening, I think that when you are bullied or abused as a child, narcissism becomes a bubble of protection. It's a way for people to protect themselves as they move through the outside world. And it certainly gets vilified because it tends to end up hurting folks a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times. Well, the, one of the things about the, that narcissism, I really like the point you bring up. And what I realized is, you know, the narcissists are basically f trying to find a way to meet their needs without vulnerability, which means not getting hurt. And so they start objectifying people and using people to get those needs met somehow, but without having to be vulnerable, without actually having intimacy and all of the risks and rejection and the pain and the hurt from there. Uh, so that's one aspect of it. Of it, and then there's more of a, a spiritual aspect about um, you know, building up an image and living life through an image rather than our true self. So those those are kind of like the two two parts of narcissism that I work with. Talk about how that switch was flipped for you. Yeah. So let me an ask, answer that first question. Um, you know about what caused it. So I had warts on my hands. So I basically just had warts on my fingers. And uh, that's kind of what started it. Started the um, bullying, you mean? Yeah, the bullying. Yeah. What about the, the narcissism that I didn't end up that way? or? Well, I, I had said, assuming you're not an, a narcissist now, and you said I was. So I'm curious <laughs> yeah. what, what flipped, this is a great answer, what flipped the switch for you to be, to go from someone who operated in the world from that lens versus now as a person who's operating away from that lens? Well, it's the work that I'm doing now, the, the work that I facilitate, which is based in uh, basically feedback, basically healing of I was able to see myself in vi on video. So I literally got to see myself in my own body on video doing all of these things that I had no idea I was doing. I thought I was being nice. And when I saw it, I was like, oh, my God, you're being passive aggressive. You're making this all about you. Your cell... You're so self-absorbed and consumed with not being poor, with not being in scarcity, with not being in pain, with not being in suffering. You're making everything about you. You have no space, you know, for other people. You know, all of these things. And I started seeing it and I had no idea. So it wasn't your typical like narcissistic personality personality disorder thing, but it were these narcissistic behaviors and qualities that we just talked about that I had no idea I was doing. And so I was homeless twice. I had slept in my car in Los Angeles in Orange County, California, twice. And 
that was after having a software company, after being published. Um, uh, on, uh, I had a course, uh, it was called Holistic Sex. So Holistic Sexuality, Sex, and Spirituality. Um, my software company. So after all of these successes and things, I, I was broke. I was poor. I couldn't literally afford to, to put a roof over my head. And so I was really confused because I had done years, personal growth, transformation, spirituality, self-help, all of this stuff, holistic healing, all of these things, they helped. They were amazing. I learned so much. But why was it that even after learning these secrets of abundance and law of attraction in the universe and money or whatever it was, that I had none, that my life just got worse and worse and worse the more that I knew? And so I reached a, a one of my rock bottoms that led me to say, I got to figure this out, you know, whatever, whatever this takes. And I had a few whatever it takes moments, but that's been the most recent. And that was the one that led me to realizing that I had all of this stuff that I now refer to as shadow material. All of these things about myself that I ignored, suppressed, uh, shoved away, didn't want, that I rejected and hated about myself. I discovered that there was all of this stuff. And so that started me on my journey of healing it. Because of like, oh my God, this I had no idea. And this isn't who I choose to be. And so it took many years of work, but I did it. It's interesting because it, it reminds me, and I say this often on the show, that we, the idea of multiple personality disorder, DID, dissociative personality disorder, that we, or identity disorder, that all of us operate through our life with a multitude of masks. We're constantly being different people for our family or our lovers or our bosses or our coworkers, all these things. And uh, just like I think in that disorder where there is a, there are caretaker identities that don't let the, the baseline identity get hurt, right? It's a protection mechanism. Uh, it, it reminds me of that, just that, that we're all operating on some level in these multiple personalities. Yeah, until we decide not to. Well, of course, of yeah. course. But it's yeah. very interesting because I... Because I, those personalities, like you said, they keep us safe. So it's really hard to give these up. And as to your point as well, the idea that when we are hurt and when we do have these, as you said, you were watching the video, that you had a realization, um, we tend to treat other people the way we feel about ourselves. Yeah. Hurt people hurt people, right? We were right. talking a little before the show, right? This stuff is just going to keep continuing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the hurt just keeps going until somebody in that lineage of trauma says no okay it's it's time to end this and that right. takes great courage <laughs> that's the other option you either snap or you stop the cycle <laughs> yeah yeah unfortunately yeah. Well, it, the tools aren't really the, it's hard for people to come to those tools it's hard for people to touch that level of pain that's a lot of hard work how how did you find yourself willing obviously you said you hit rock bottom yeah. but to hitting rock bottom is one thing then deciding to go through the fire that you have to go through in order to get to the other side is a whole other thing. Yeah. And you, you know, I, I really appreciate what you just said is that it is a fire. 
I mean, there is this burning, this, I would call it a fire of purification, not in some sort of weird religious kind of thing, but just really like going through the fire, just like you put steel, you know, uh, iron into fire and it becomes steel, you know, metaphorically. Uh, So I had multiple moments, you know, when I was bullied as a kid, I was very depressed. I was suicidal. Um, I was, I literally was one of those kids that fantasized about going and shooting up a school and seeking revenge. I was in that much pain. And so this touches on something we talked about that's kind of just happened is that I'm in a very unique position that that could have been me, um, that I had ideas, not as far as like buying things and like writing plans out, but, oh, I indulged in fantasies. And um, it was very dark and very scary. And I was in that much pain. And I reached a point, maybe when I was 17 years old, where it was either I do whatever it takes to figure this out, you know, like how to get a girlfriend, how to have friends, how to not be a miserable piece of crap, um, you know, how to have a good life, not cry myself to sleep every night or every week, or I end it. And so one of one truth was that I was too much of a chicken shit to do it. It sounded way too painful. So there was actually a cowardness, a cowardice in it because I'm like, yeah, this does not like I, I played the fantasies out and I'm like, how they end? I don't know. <laughs> that doesn't seem like it's going to solve anything. You know, it's a smart kid. I wasn't dumb. And so I was like, well, you know what? I guess I'm going to have to figure this out. And so at about 18 years old, that's when I started my my journey. And so that started the entire healing journey and then. That was one of those big uh, choice points. It was literally life or death there. Now, uh, this more recent uh, choice that you just talked about, that again was uh, life or death. And it really was. I saw my life. I saw how nothing was working. I mean, for years, trying to have a business that wasn't working learning all of this stuff, spending tens of thousands of dollars on healing modalities, all of these things. And I was still stuck. And then as soon as I started seeing myself on video and was getting the feedback of all of the shadow material, I was like, oh my God, this, this isn't, this doesn't work. If, if I continue doing this stuff, I'm going to be taken out. Um, if I'm homeless on the street or sleeping in my car, someone jacks in, breaks in, stabs me, I end up doing drugs. I don't know what it was, but there was that sense that I figured this out or I die trying because the other way is I'm going to die trying anyway. So it was really that extreme for me. And I, so that was one element. The other element was more of a, I guess, positive, empowering one was this pull, was the sense that I was destined for something greater, that I, I had really something important to do in my life. Um, and after five years of being in that fire, I'm well on my way of doing that. 
And so that voice, that sort of intuition of this, this isn't it. There, there, there's something, there, there is this greatness that is, is available to you. And I, don't, I don't mean like being a president or a king or something, but just this human greatness. Um, and then the life or death. So it was those two things, both a life or death away, I'm going to die, and a, a life purpose going forward. You also have to have a death in order to get through the other side of that fire. So the part of you did have to die. Yeah. Yeah. Lots that, of times. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think you said something that was really fascinating too, that I'd like to go back to where you said, I, I could have been that kid that shoots up the school. I think that's such a profound thing to say, because I believe when we look at our society and we see kids, especially that do these things, we think, oh, that's so rare. That's so crazy. How could they do that? That's so extreme. But the fact of the matter is so many kids have that level of pain that are having those fantasies. And who knows, maybe you, you thinking things out was a way to release the steam, if you will, to keep you from actually participating in such events. Who knows? Or maybe you're just, you know, you were able to see the other side. Some people are, some people aren't. Yeah. But I think it's such a valuable resource that that you are willing to say that could have been me that's hugely profound in a society that likes to deny that such things are an almost an everyday occurrence in a teenage brain or even a, a pre-adolescent brain yeah well and to to deny that and to demonize it of, of course no one is going to say these events are not awful and tragic and terrible I mean, they're, they're, they're sickening. Um, but if you understand that the level of, of trauma or pain someone must be in to cause that much evil to move through them, it's, it's profound. And so we, we can't get there by that way. We, we only get there by compassion. And it doesn't mean enabling. It, it doesn't mean not having consequences. Again, every action we have has consequences. Those people, karmically or whatever, or in this real life, are responsible for horrendous things. Uh, absolutely. So there, there's no apologizing or blame shifting here. However, I think a lot more compassion and understanding of, well, what kind of system in society leads to these things? Um, and it's not necessarily a manufacturing of bullets. Um, there's, there's dynamics and energies and ways that we show up in the world that, you know, contribute to this. And there's a systemic uh, silencing of pain in the world. Yeah, yeah. Suppression both in ourselves and other people. And one of the hugest, I would say it's, if not one of the most fundamental tenets of my work is feeling. It's getting people to feel all of this stuff that they don't want to feel or that society says they shouldn't feel or that their parents or dad, you see this a lot in men, that dad says, don't feel Emotions are weakness. We have all of these things. 
uh, but they're, they're complete distortions. Now, it's one thing to be hysterical and letting your emotions run you and be completely dissociated and checked out. It's another thing to go inside to have deep self-awareness and honesty with what you're really feeling and going on and letting yourself move through that and heal it. We use the same words in our society, but they're two completely different things. Did you have a support system in your family, <clears throat> uh, you know, parents or, or teachers or siblings, even though they were much younger, that you could bounce ideas off of or thoughts or feelings? At what time? Growing what, up. Like, what, what, growing up? Yeah. I mean, my parents were very supportive. I mean, they had their own stuff and there was some family chaos and things that led to certain things in my life. Um, but they generally did the best that they could. They were very young. My mom had me when she was 17. So they were just very young and, um, they did the best that they could. They sacrificed a lot to provide for each other and us. And I'm very blessed. There was a lot of love and support. There was some things that, you know, created not so good stuff, but overall, yeah. Um, they, again, however, didn't have the tools or the wisdom or the kind of container to know really what to do with what I was going through because they never really had that experience. Or a life experience if they were so young. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is quite young to have children. It's children having children. <laughs> yeah. When people come to you, are they at their most broken, do you think? Or are you getting all sorts of levels of people coming to you? Yeah, it's it's all sorts of ranges. Um, my work uh, is generally uh, advanced. So I generally work with people that have been doing this for a long time. And there's something that maybe is still stuck. Or they're uh, very successful in their life, but they can't kind of transfer that over you know so let's say that they've reached you know maybe i don't know they're making 10 million a year but they don't have 10 million units of love in their relationships or intimacy or their health and so in those instances they they re, they do great in a certain vertical but they can't match it out to the rest and the, the kind of irony of that is that how you do one thing is how you do anything. And so the very same thing that they're doing in that one area, you know, it's getting in the way of the other stuff. So I have people like that. I have people that come in that actually have no real problems. They're just looking for mastery. They're maybe more into more of the self-mastery or spiritual mastery, and they just want really ad 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 more advanced teachings. And there's nothing really wrong. Uh, and then there's, I would say, the third where people have tried everything and uh, they've gotten results like I have, uh, and yet it still hasn't been the thing that breaks them through. So I, uh, because of my book and because of writing my book and all my marketing to address that, and which are people like me that, have, that spent eight years and 10 years of doing all this healing work, and yet they were worse off than ever. And so uh, I... That's, that's what I know, and that's what I, I help the most with. So those three people, those three uh, kind of people uh, are, are the ones that come with me. But to your specific question, 
there are people that come to me that are in that rock bottom um, and nothing's working. They don't tend to stay, though, uh, because if that is going on, it's going to require a lot of change. It's going to require doing whatever it takes to go through that fire. And so uh, they, they do get some help. Uh, they do get a lot from it. Um, but some, you know, some people aren't quite ready to do that, and that's okay. I help them how I can help them, and they're off to something that can help them where they're at. What does so your book is titled Awaken to Your True Self. What does true self mean to you? It's us beyond any word that we could use to describe us. Yeah, so it's it's the thing beyond our concept of self. This is more of the spiritual idea, you know, this this higher self, this true self, the essence, our soul, you know, the thing that's beyond just this little unit moving out in the world the meat stick uh, like yeah <laughs> yeah yeah the meat stick <laughs> slightly grotesque but it's it also highly accurate yeah we're just a tube moving through the universe yeah well it is a tube i mean that's what we're doing we're transmuting all of these other forms of consciousness through eating we're just a digestive tube that has legs and arms and eyes you know, they mm -hmm. say that this is just a little fun side note but they say that the eyes uh evolutionary speaking are really just an extension of the digestive system. Like everything from that one cell amoeba or whatever it is, is just optimized to consume more and to have higher odds of all, yep, all of those. Um, and then that can get into maybe more esoteric stuff of where that goes, like why, you know, what's the whole point? Anyway. Uh, but you so, are what you consume, right? Whether you're yeah. seeing it, hearing it, tasting it. Eating it, yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you are what you eat. It's it's not just food. That's right. The people that that you work with that are really kicking ass in their life that have done, they're at the top of their game, but do feel so empty, the God shaped hole. You know, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's an infinite space. It's not religious. It's just, it's just this infinite space that is very hard to fill in. Uh. Do you find that much of it comes from a generational trauma or do you see it more that it's within a person's singular lifetime on average? Like, what do you see more of? Um, well, we do work with people where we actually see these genetic stories play out through the movement. So it's, it's really crazy because you, you can actually see, and I've worked I've worked with like a father and a son and different generations and you can see these stories, these mythological archetypical ways of being play through those generations. Um, so that's very real. It's very potent and active. Uh, then you have that, uh, which is part of the epigenetics. And then you have that person's lifetime. Uh, so, it's it's a lot the the generational stuff has a lot more momentum because there's generations of weight behind it and you're typically in a society and a culture that enables that and only knows that so it's like things yeah like a lot of health stuff a lot of health stuff is just simply the environment you're in if you grew up and you don't know that 
all of these kind of junk foods are bad for you, you just don't know that. You're just, it's not even in your awareness. You're not making bad choices. That's just what you know. And so there's things like just how we show up in the world, how we see the world, our belief systems, how we feel about things. Uh, all of this stuff is, we're sponges. So as kids, that's why there's a lot of work in therapy that's done around childhood because we're just absorbing all of this stuff. And it's really great to learn really quick, uh, but there's no discernment. And you might not necessarily be inheriting the best life strategies and ways of being. What is the work that you do with, so I know you work with the Alan Watts foundation or organization. Yeah. I love Alan Watts. Who doesn't love Alan Watts? Uh, what is this? Is it cinosomatic? Am I saying Cine that right? Yeah. Yeah. Cinosomatic, like somatics and cine, like cinema, cinosomatic. Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, one of the things that helped me break through was this video I told you about. I got to see myself on video. So cinesomatics, it uh, comes from two words, uh, cine, which cinema about video. Also, it has uh, roots in Greek of uh, kina, which is movement. And then we have uh, uh, somatics, which is of the body, soma. And so it's basically uh, what we do is that we film people moving in their body. Then we play that video back and show them for themselves. They get to see it in their own body on video. All of the subconscious stories, limiting beliefs, uh, emotions, patterns, blocks, archetypes that run their life, but not by talking about it and just thinking, but by literally moving in the body and seeing it in the body. So it's a very advanced, it's, it's a cutting edge. You could call it a, a therapeutic healing modality. It, there's a philosophy to it. You know, there's learning different ways of being. Um, so that's it in a nutshell. It reminds me of, um, a I mean, obviously it's different than this, but it reminds me of some therapy work I've done where movement is actually part of the therapy. You talk about an event while your body is moving and it helps to release it out of you. Yeah. I, I imagine watching themselves on video has got to be all kinds of uncomfortable as well. Yeah, it's very confronting. Um because you're literally looking at all of the stuff you've spent decades of your life trying not to look at. I have a common thing amongst my guests and that when I send them their episodes and then I check back around in a couple of weeks to let them know how the show is doing and, you know, people's feedbacks, that kind of thing. And I say, Oh, did you listen? And I would say 80% of the time, the response is, oh, I can't stand the sound of my own voice. I don't ever listen to it. And I think it's along that same line. It is pretty standard for people to have a large amount of self-loathing for the way they sound or look or move through the world. So there's you want you want to know some cool things here. One, one, there's the obvious if we're, you know, we our voice sounds different because of our ears, you know, so there is that component of our sound of our own voice does sound weird. Um, so you have some th something there, but when you talk about the self-loathing, the same thing that we find on video, we find in audio. So when people hear their voice, all the, why they don't like it 
is because of all of the shadow material found in it. So their judgments, their insecurities, their all of these things that they don't like about themselves comes through in their voice. But there's also all of these wonderful things about themselves that come through their voice, but they don't want to look at that. And so you also see their orientation to life. And so there's, I mean, how you do one thing is how you do anything. So the way that you speak, the way that you move, the way that you show up at work, the way you show up in the bedroom, the way you show up ev anywhere in life, somehow in some way correlates to the way you do that elsewhere. And so that's the foundational reason why the movement works, why listening to your voice works, why seeing yourself on video works is because, you know, there's no escape. You know, you can't escape from yourself. You're there and you're everywhere. Everywhere you go, there you are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> let's talk about sex, baby. All right, let's cover sex now. How is sex a part of your uh, helping people to expand themselves? Well, it was my first, it was the first thing I decided to teach. Um, I published a course, oh gosh, nine years ago. <laughs> it's a long time ago and you see me now. So I was pretty young. You look young. You have a very yeah. young face. And so I published this course, Holistics, it's called Holistic Sex, Merging the Dirty and the Divine. So it was the idea of we have this wonderful thing, sex, with also this wonderful thing, spirituality. In our modern world, they usually don't go together. Um, there's huge conflicts. And I was like, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. There has to be a way to reconcile the schism. And I started seeing, oh, well, there's a schism between men and women, a schism, a schism between the masculine and feminine, a battle of the sexes. And I'm just like, why do you want to find the person you're supposed to be intimate with and love to be the enemy? So there's all of these cultural presuppositions, these stereotypes, these completely distorted ways of understanding man and woman, feminine, masculine, or sexuality or spirituality. And so I decided to, from still at that time, I've studied it for a long time, to, to share what I learned into healing that stuff and create, create a sort of basic approach and philosophy that I called holistic sex that, that was more inclusive rather than exclusive, that you could heal the shame, the guilt, you could find intimacy and safety, you could open up again, you could understand sexual polarity and how that went together. Um, you knew how to uh, penetrate, not just physically, but emotionally. You knew how to be penetrated, both physically and emotionally, to surrender, to lead, to follow, all of these dynamics. So that was the first thing I set out to teach that I said I was published, and then a few months later I was homeless. Um, so we can pause there. But that was what I started with, and then now um, sexuality has just become an integral part of the whole thing because when I see somebody move, I can see if they have their sex sexual centers shut down, if they're avoiding intimacy, I can see their masculine and feminine playing out through the right and left sides of their body, which reflect their parents' relationship, it reflects 
their relationships in life, how how these things inside themselves are actually what they're projecting and, and attracting their partners. So it shows up everywhere in there. So those are about the kind of two deline- the delineation between uh, how sex applies to my work. I'm going to have to get you on my show that I do with my sexologist friend. It's called, are we there yet? It's on YouTube <laughs> and you'd be a great guest for that show. Great, I hope it. you would come and be specifically to talk about all this stuff. Cause it is fascinating. Yeah. Now you date my dear friend, Hannah, <laughs> and y'all met at a retreat an energy. No, we we, we met at just a meditation a know, meditation. Right? Okay. I knew that it had something to do with that kind of thing. I just, yeah. And we yeah. had, a, we both had a very hard time meditating. <laughs> Because you were being, she she described it to me as uh, she was being distracted by some energy in the room, which I assume that that's sort of how you yeah. felt as well. And I think I would love to talk, you don't have to be, to give out intimate details about your relationship with Hannah, but I think it's a fascinating thing to talk about in general, about what that means as someone who is in touch, because to your point, I think it is quite easy for people to be penetrated and to penetrate physic on the physical realm. Uh, some people leave their bodies for it or, or whatnot. Yeah, exactly. So it's still yeah. easier than the, obviously the most difficult, which is the dropping of the walls and to be vulnerable. Some people have lifelong relationships with each other and are never vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I would, I am curious to know, uh, how you develop that in yourself and how you might help other people to develop that understanding of receiving and giving out energy yeah, not in a hostile way or an overtaking way, but in a, in a beautiful way. Yeah. Well, a bunch of points. I mean, this could be a whole conversation itself. Um, I owe a lot of it to the cinesomatic work because in it one of the things i do is i have people show me somatic archetypes and the two basic ones are giving and receiving giving and receiving are are, are like yin and yang of everything that we do they're they're fundamental to everything you're giving and receiving all of the time whether that looks like a an inhale or an exhale buying uh selling uh, everything talking to people work everything is some form of giving and receiving in relationship with other people so the amazing thing is that we get people to show this in their body and so they'll show giving and receiving in their body and from that you can see the results they get in their life what kind of relationship would they have with giving and receiving so if I say, show me giving, and somebody takes and pulls towards them, if you're properly wired, you'll say, that does not look like giving. It looks like taking. Or if somebody, if I say, all right, well, show me receiving, and they just kind of stand there and look around and look down with their arms crossed, if you're properly functional and what and what and wired correctly, you'll say they're not really even open to receiving anything. But this is how we go through life. Most pe- almost everybody doesn't realize that their their nervous system is is reverse wired or wired in 
distorted ways. And so that person who crosses their arms and looks down and says, I have trouble receiving in life, it's like, well, yeah, no wonder. That's how you think what receiving looks like. And so we actually get those people to find new ways to move in their body that then manifests and correlates to actually how they start receiving in the world. You don't need 20 years of psychological this or that. You literally can change it in the body. But in order to do that, there's these stories, there's the traumas, there's the fears, there's all that stuff you have to get to in order to feel safe and open to even move in that way. So like the exercises that you did, the same way is that you start moving in these ways and then it brings up all the correlated stuff that's that's around it and, and keeping you stuck. So full circle to your question, that was also the process that I went through in order to become more intimate, I had to allow myself to be penetrated, to become penetrable, to surrender, to open up, uh, but also to penetrate, to also go inside myself, to penetrate myself in these stories and these judgments and all of my shadow material, but also at the same time, letting them annihilate me. You talked about the death. Yeah, letting myself die, letting those things annihilate me, surrendering to them. So it's understanding that we're not just doing one or the other. When we're giving, we're also receiving. When we're receiving, we're also giving. When we're penetrating, we're also being penetrated. And if people were able to learn that and embody that while having sex in their relationships, I mean, it, it is divine. It is sublime. Because when you can penetrate and being penetrated during intimacy, during sex, intercourse, you you, lose, you you merge, right? I mean, it's what everybody's, what everybody's going for. And done in a healthy way where you still have boundaries, you're not betraying or abandoning yourself, you're not being codependent, right? All these other things that we do to, to manipulate and stay safe, you stop all of that. And you find everything you've been looking for. It is interesting too, because in the throes of great passion and orgasm specifically, the fact that people cry out, whether they're religious or science, <laughs> yeah. they cry out, oh God, oh God. Yeah. I think that's such a apt thing to call out in a moment of ecstasy. You know, it's that yeah. joy, hallelujah, reverence. Yeah, because in that moment, you're not in your ego. You're not in your head. You're, you're fully present. And that's, that's a point for most people. It's one of the few points that they actually touch into the divine. Yeah. And not only are you fully present, I think you're fully everywhere all at once. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, that's yeah. what it feels like yeah. in that moment. You feel way beyond this mortal coil. You, yeah. you touch the cosmos and beyond on if if you're lucky, and some people don't orgasm, but um, yeah. So we talked about <clears throat> shadow, and I think um, a lot of people will think perhaps that, oh, I'm supposed to get rid of my shadow, and I do not believe you would agree with that uh, just from what you've been saying. I know that I don't agree with that. I think we have to live with our shadow and acknowledge it. Everything wants to be heard, including our shadow, and that you know it's there for a reason that to extricate it completely would also be damaging to a psyche. Well, it's also impl impossible. But I do think that that perhaps causes 
um, hiccup of from people to do the work because they think, how am I supposed to get rid of this? Is just a part of well, yeah, it is a part of who you are, and it can be a part of who you are, and it's okay. You're not supposed to get rid of it. You're supposed to fall in love with it. You stop judging it, and rejecting it, because that's what you're doing to yourself. In the book, I talk about this this realization that the stuff in our shadow is not what we think it is. We think you know, our shadow is just all our judgments, the worst things about ourselves, the evils of ourself, just the things that don't work, the things we wish weren't real, that weren't us. And we shove it away. We reject it. We want to cut it off, get rid of it, burn it, cancel it, delete it, all of these things. And then they run us because they're still there. You just lock it away. You know, It's the skeletons in your closet. It's the dragons in your basement locked down there. They're still there. They're still you. They're still running. And the most beautiful part of the whole thing is that they're not what you think they are. Is that when you can get into relationship with those things, when you stop fighting against yourself, when you end the war against yourself, and you move more into a non-judgmental place, you realize that these things in your shadow just might be some of the best parts of yourself. So I was talking to a to I, I did a I was a guest lecture uh, just yesterday, and a guy had a question, and he said, "Okay, we're well, talking about the shadow. So what? You, you you fall in love with this, and you penetrate these things. Well, what's how can you fall in love with this this bad stuff? What do you mean? There's there's the best." Qu- parts of yourself on the other side. And I said, all right, well, give me something that you think is a shadow for yourself. And he gave me a few, and one of them was shyness. It's like, okay, all right, so this shyness, right? So why is it a shadow? Well, maybe you feel insecure. It doesn't allow you to approach women. Um, You feel whatever. So it's something that he didn't want to be and rejected in himself. And I said, okay, well, go into that shyness right now. You know, what does that feel like? What does that look like? How does that show up in your life? And I watched him go into it. And do you know what I saw? I saw sweetness. And so that person, this whole time, had a war against this shyness. It was a shadow aspect. But if he was willing to own the shyness, now there is an aspect of shyness where you're maybe playing small and not showing up fully, and that's certainly something that you can change if you'd like. But if you accept all of that and you penetrate it, underneath it, maybe there's innocence, there's sweetness, there's a desire for connection. It's really sweet and soft. Well, that softness and sweetness is very vulnerable. And there are people in the world and we have experiences that will want to annihilate that or attack it, take advantage. So we shut off. We think it's bad and wrong. But in that environment, that space, everyone in that group was loving and supportive. And so it allowed him to blossom open literally just in that example of saying, oh my gosh, this thing I thought was terrible about myself, if I own it fully and go all the way, there's actually this incredible, wonderful thing of myself in it. And I had it all wrong. So it wasn't the sweetness that was the shadow. It was all the judgments and distortions and traumas that just created this Frankenstein. The Auroribus. It's the snake. Oh. 
eating. <laughs> That's a whole other topic. Oh, you could probably talk for hours. Tell everyone where is the best place to reach you if they want to email you with questions. How can they get be a part of your experience? AndrewDaniel.org. Everything's there. There's a link to the Cinesomat- the Center for Cinesomatic Development. There you can learn about the embodiment video movement feedback. There's some examples. They're they're a few years old, but they'll still give you an idea of what it is I've been talking about. Um, there's also uh, information and links to buy my book. You know, it's on Amazon and everywhere else. So andrewdaniel.org. Great. I really appreciate your time. I would very much like you to come be on. Yeah, Are we doing it? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Thank you for listening, everybody. Be well, take care and take your shadow out for, you know, a cup of coffee. Get to know it a little bit better. <laughs> take it out for a walk. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Rate, review, and subscribe to Hey Human Podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Bye.